Father, we come to you just amazed, God. It's like 2,000 years are not enough for us to sing of the glories of the truth that were just in about 20 minutes run through, and I just am amazed. It feels like our souls are being exposed to things that too amazing. Like Job, we say, they are too wonderful for us. And I, I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to, together with this group here, to be a witness of that here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have been moving since the beginning. And you're preparing our hearts for even greater things. <laughs> to think that these are just blurry images. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 14, we see only as through a dimly lit mirror now. Oh, what will it be like when we come into the kingdom and see you face to face? Just, it would just be heaven. We just praise you, Father, for, for everything tonight. We, we come this evening both sorrowful that our beloved Savior would have been so humiliated, and yet on the other hand, so grateful, so joyful that we are counted children of God because of it. How wonderful it is to be a Christian, and there is no other place we'd rather be than here to sit at the feet of Jesus, to listen to him. Oh, Father, open our ears and our hearts and my mouth as we take a few moments to look into these things. God, Holy Spirit, be the teacher that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'd like to read from a passage in, in Colossians, and, and I'm going to read a little bit more uh, than, than I had sh- uh, told Pastor John I would preach from 1 uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, all the way to chapter 2, verse 5. And you can just, uh, I believe you stand, right? So you can stand with me, but I would just read it and you can follow along. So first, this is Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, all the way to chapter 2, verse 5. So if you have it, you can follow with me. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross, of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, 
and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Amen. You may be seated. This is the word of God. Um, isn't it amazing <laughs> just to read what, what is here? Uh, like Pastor John mentioned, that I, um, I have the privilege now of, with the blessing and support of my wife, to go into full-time uh, doctoral studies. And so I spend my mornings with about 30, 40 young people in this ministry called Ambrose. That it's a, it's a new, I guess, church plant, if you will. And uh, some of you have lived with us uh, there. Um, and then the, I come home and I, I, I spend time with my children and it's a wonderful time. In the evenings, um, I go into this very special place that I enjoy a lot and I read about all these very high-level theology and deal with philosophy and all these things and I enjoy it and I praise God for that privilege. But every time I think about what the gospel really is and why we're really here, all it comes down to is that we just love Jesus for the simple message of the gospel that was sung in about four minutes. That there is the highest theology. That there is the, the greatest treasure and joy of my heart. There are days when I think I almost couldn't care less about some of the things that I have to study, but for the sake of the church, somebody's got to do it, and I'm glad to be able to. But I, I come to these texts like this, and I, and I sometimes wonder if what the church needs today and what I need today is not more theology or more teaching, but maybe just to have a deeper understanding of the simple teachings that we've already learned years ago. And so I think the things here, I mean, Paul here, he speaks so sweepingly about Christ. And in these short verses, it covers just things unfathomable for our, our puny little brains. But, but really the heart of the message here, I think, is quite simple. I think there are two points here 
I'm going to give this sort of summary outline, and then we can dig into it a little bit. I think what Paul is trying to say here is first, Jesus is fully God and fully man. And he died to reconcile you to him by death, by the death on his cross. That's it. He is fully God and he is fully man. And he died to reconcile you to him by his cross. And the reason why I think it's very fitting that we we talk about this, it's not just because it's Good Friday, because when we speak about the sufferings of Christ, we're also, we need to speak about the suffering of the church. And so I I told Pastor John this week I'd like to speak about the sufferings of Christ, but also the sufferings of LCF. I don't know what the sufferings are. I know a little bit, but I don't know what LCF is going through. But you're LCF, and you know. And if the scriptures are true, and they are, then, and the end times are here, then the church suffers. You may be going through suffering in this church that I can't even imagine. But I know that at Grace Church, we rejoice in Christ, but we also suffer for him. And the good news of Christian suffering is that it's not absurd. It's not meaningless. You know, that's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Everyone suffers because we are in a broken world. And the Bible calls this place ruled by the prince of this world, which is Satan. Everyone suffers. But the difference between a Christian and non-Christian is that the Christian understands why the suffering happens, understands the purposes of God in that suffering. And even if he doesn't understand, he understands there's a sovereign God behind that suffering. And so we don't despair. But can you imagine what it's like for someone who is an atheist, for example, what that would mean for their suffering? If everything is probabilities and mechanistic, then the the, the answer to their suffering is that there is no answer. It's purely absurd. And then what would be the response? It's only despair, that there is no other answer to that. I, I, I love, one of the reasons why we started this campus ministry next to McGill University is because we know that our university students are exposed to this kind of teaching and the only answer to their suffering then is despair and depression. There is no other way. And so we're hoping, by God's grace, to be sort of a beacon of light in a, in a very dark place. It's funny that actually McGill and Concordia used to be seminaries, right? No longer, right? Um, so our suffering is very different. And, but as with Scripture, and we see this here, that in all discussion of suffering, and Paul, he's going to go on to his own suffering, you must first begin with the sufferings of Christ. To understand ours, we need to understand his sufferings. So let's go there. These last few weeks, I've been you know, these last few months, since I've sort of taken one foot out of full-time ministry, um, I've had the just great joy of teaching children Sunday school. If you've never taught children Sunday school, it is one of the greatest joys because to be able to distill the gospel into words that a three-year-old or five-year-old understand really forces you to think very deeply about the things you said. So a couple of weeks ago, I taught on this. What does it mean for God to be fully God and fully man. And I said, well, can God 
lift up a car? And every kid said, yes. And I'm like, can God lift up a mountain? They said, yes. I'm like, what about a plane? And they're like, yes. And they said, what about this mountain? And they said, yes. So that's easy. Little three-year-old Paul, my son, can understand that. Then we go to another thing. So what about a little baby? Or what about a, what about a man or a baby? What can they do? Can they lift a car? And they're like, no. So you, it's fun to play these games with them, right? Then we get to what babies can do. And they said, well, they can't do anything. What can they do? They can poop in diapers, and they can, <laughs> they can cry, and they can drink their, at their mother's teat. What, what can they do? And then I said, wait, but then does, can, does Jesus cry? And they're like, I guess. Does Jesus uh, drink at his mother's breast? Yeah. Does, does Jesus poop in his diaper? And they said, no way. This, this nine-year-old was like, no way. One of the smarter kids in the group, no way. That would make him really human. He's not really human. He's God. Wow, I felt that such a profound moment in that little Sunday school class. Sometimes we forget he is fully God, fully man. And here, Paul goes through this and he says these things that are just so mind and soul stretching in verse 16. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Verse 18, Jesus, I love this, Jesus is the beginning. It's not just he began the world, he is, he just is. Verse 16, all things were created through him and for him. And then verse 17, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That means to be first. He's first to be, to exist. He is the first to rise from the dead, the first to be filled with the fullness of God, the first to reconcile all things to him. He is the first in everything. And then verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth. So the first to join heaven and earth together. Verse 21, though you once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body by his flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So the first not only join heaven and earth, but actually to rise from the dead so that we would have that privilege and that gift when it is our turn to be raised. So the first of all things. Some of the things here are just so, um, like I said, mind and soul stretching. This morning we were in our, in our, at Ambrose and I was talking to these young people about, you know, just what it means to be infinite. And then we have a lot of like computer scientists and things like that. And he said, one of the young people said to me, when he, he in his math classes and like science classes, already his, his, his heart and his mind is being stretched, right? He said, uh, like a deck of cards. Do you know that the number of possible orders of the cards in a deck, 52 cards, how many possibilities in the in the, like, the, the variations or permutations are there in that deck of cards. Can't be that many. It's just 52. And he said, he read from an, sort of a, an excerpt from his school's um, handout and said, if there were 10 billion people on every single planet on earth, 
on, 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 in, the, in, the, in the world, in the universe. And there are these 10 billion people on every single planet, on every, you know, any galaxy. And all these people were shuffling the deck of cards a million times a second. And they were shuffling for, from the beginning of time all the way until now, however many years you want to make that. There would not even have been a repetition of the variations or the permutations in that deck of cards, which means that they wouldn't even have gone through every variation. And then we sat there and I said, wait, and then to think that like, you know, in a game of chess or something like that, the number of chess moves that are possible in chess are greater than the number of atoms in the known universe. Atoms, not like... And then to think, for God, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Everything, every atom, every particle of dust, every tear, every cry, every joy, every child, everything ordered by the command of God's word. It's amazing to be in these science classes, but then you understand when you read this, it is far greater. We, I think the first million years in heaven will be just to come to terms with the fact that we are in his presence, maybe the first 10 million years. Okay, we will have time in heaven. So just the simple truth that he was fully God and fully man and the power and the authority and the glory that he has and then the simple truth that he became a human baby. Only, as Hebrew says, to destroy death so that he could die on the cross for us. There almost is nothing more to say. And yet here he says that he is only the head of the body. We are the body. He's only the head. And now we, we come to these verse 24 and then Paul says this amazing thing. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. That's just like a, just an unbelievable thing for him to say. He says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So it's clear and it's pretty, it's obvious from the rest of the Bible that he, Paul doesn't mean that the price that Jesus paid at the cross wasn't enough to pay for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. That's obviously not what he meant because you read in other places, again, in Hebrews, you, you, I think you're getting the, I don't know, it's one of my favorite books. In fact, at Grace Church, we forced everyone to memorize that book. Um, but obviously, Jesus died once and for all. The infinite value of Jesus' life pays for everything forever and ever. And that's the security we have as Christians, that no sin could ever separate us from the love of Father in Christ, Romans 8. Nothing could ever be greater than Jesus' value, and his death means the perfect forgiveness. So just that, that tells us that that's not what Paul means here. So what does he mean then? And there are many things that I think he means here, but I'm going to share with you something, one, one observation. I think here Paul means that God together with Christ and the Holy Spirit, he decided from eternity past, before the world was created, 
He had decided that the sufferings that Christ would suffer in his 30-odd years on earth would only be a part. And he would, he, would, he would retain or he would hold back some of that suffering for the glory and for the joy and for the faith of his church. To put it simply, God designed it so that he would prepare a special reserve of suffering, just enough, not too much or too little, just enough so that you and I would bear the full fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these things learned through the, the discipline that God brings. You read in places like Hebrews 12, it says, don't disregard or don't make light of the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when we are reproved by him. So discipline doesn't always mean we've done something wrong. It just means that God loves us so much that he's going to allow certain painful things in our lives because he loves us. It's like my son, when he runs out of our car, and if we haven't watched him, and he'll run into the street because he's too excited to go to church, for example, but he could die. And so we would take him aside and chide him really severely, maybe to the point of his crying. But we do that because we love him, right? You do that because you, you want to save his, his life. And so you discipline him. He, never did, he didn't do anything necessarily wrong. He just needed to learn something he never would have learned if he didn't suffer for it. Continue Hebrews 12, it says, The Lord disciplines those he loves, and he chastises every son or daughter whom he receives. So it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as his own son and sons. So here, I think Paul is saying in Colossians, he says that there is a special reserve of suffering that was meant for him. There's a special reserve of suffering meant for the church in Colossia here. And then there's also a special reserve of suffering specifically designed for LCF. And over the years, I've understood in my life that all these sufferings, you can choose to avoid them. You can. You can choose not to bear the cross. You can choose to go another way, and you may still be saved by that, but oh, you would miss out on a whole other revelation of God. Here, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. That tells me that there is a kind of joy that only happens in the bearing of the cross. There is a kind of joy and peace and patience and kindness and all that fruit that only can be tasted when you are in tears because of a difficult situation in the church when you're praying and, and you're laboring in prayer for a situation and it seems like God doesn't answer according to your request. But this verse tells me that there is a special kind of joy. And I'm only in my eighth year as a pastor and I've begun to taste a little bit. Pastor John and other you, I see some of you far more advanced than I am in this journey. You know exactly what I mean that there are certain kinds of joys. This January uh, in, in my church, we went through a very, 
very chaotic and painful situation. And I'm sure it's not just us. I'm sure these kind of things happen here as well, or will happen. A divisive situation in the church, many hurt feelings, a lot of blame thrown around, a lot of, a lot of um, hurt feelings. And I, I was at the center of a lot of that, and, and I didn't respond well to that. They blamed me, and like a five-year-old, I said, fine, if you don't want to play with me, I'm not going to play with you. <laughs> fine. I, I took two weeks, and I withdrew. It just so happened to coincide that I got COVID. It was like one of the greatest blessings of God in my life. So I didn't have to, I didn't have to tell the church that I didn't want to go to church. I, I could just stay home. <laughs> so I, I spent two weeks in prayer and wrestled with why it was that for these seven years, I gave my life over to this church, and then... There could be such hurtful, betraying words coming out of the people of the mouths of people that I had labored with for these seven years. Didn't they know that I loved them? Didn't they know that I had done all these things for the sake of the goodness of the church? Maybe, maybe not. And then to feel that kind of betrayal, it led me to a lot of bitterness and anger towards the people in the church, especially those that I serve closest with. Obviously, the people that are closest are the ones that can cause the greatest pain. It happened for Jesus with Judas. It happened with Paul, with Mark, and then with many others. Paul will write later in, in, he write in Timothy, he said, no one was with me at my first defense at the courts. Nobody, everybody left me. <laughs> Only Luke is with me. Bless his heart. <laughs> I, I think every person that seeks to serve God and to be, live in a godly way will experience that kind of persecution. And it was true for Paul, and it, was true, it is true for me, and it will be for you as well, if not already. And so here, the question is then, what then, how do we respond? And those weeks that I spent you know, feeling sorry for myself, the only thing that came out of it in the end was my worshipful lament before God. And I finally learned after 30 years, if I became, my mom said I became Christian at three, so 30 years, I finally learned what Job felt a little bit. I finally learned a little bit of what Jesus felt in betraying, being betrayed. And then it led me to a, such a deep reflection that if Jesus Christ, who had been so many times betrayed and cheated on by Israel, and then by these chief priests and Pharisees, and then at the climax of things, he sends his son to the earth, and what do we do with him? We just sang it. He says, I hear my voice among the scoffers. We scoffed at Jesus. We mocked him. We spat on him. And I say we because I know I wouldn't have been different. And all these things, and yet what does Jesus do? Does he turn a cold shoulder and says, if you don't want to play with me, I don't want to play with you. No. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I tell you, I, I've been preaching that for my whole pastoral ministry. But this year, in January, after have tasting a little bit of the suffering of betrayal, wow, I came to that verse with a whole new understanding. And then I felt the Lord say to me, if this is the cost, if this is the price that you have to pay to be in deeper intimacy with you, will that be too high of a price, Joseph? And I answered just tearfully saying no. 
In fact, if you want to allow more in my life, suffering in my life, but if it will lead me to a deeper intimacy with you, so be it. Because I want to rejoice like this, like Paul rejoices. Not in the kind of flippant joy that the world speaks about, but the deep joy of knowing your Savior, of knowing what the songs we just sang about. And so Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He really means that. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the church. And it's interesting that he doesn't, he keeps on reminding the people of his sufferings. Like you see in verse 29, he says, for this I toil, another word for suffering, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Verse Chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, for those at Laodicea. So a second point that I clearly see here, if the first is that joy can be in suffering, these two are one thing. The second thing I see here is that the advancement of the gospel, you know, we, we are in if we're, we're in the end times, and it, the pandemic really did a number on the churches, right? We're part of, sort of part of the alliance. The numbers do not look good. I can tell you that. I'm in, a, I'm in many committees uh, in the national offices or the regional offices, and we're privy to a lot of things going on in the, in the world and also in the alliance. It, the numbers do not look well for the churches. And so it, when God is bringing a sifting period through the church and he is removing the dross out of the church, many, many churches will lose many, many members. This is prophesied in many, many texts in the scriptures. Many people will leave. Many people have left Grace Church. Many people may have left LCF. And then, but then here we see something. Paul says, even though God is in control and sovereign, he's, he upholds the universe by the word of his power, and yet he's designed this kind of suffering for me, and he's also done it for the sake of this church in Colossia. And then he says, I want you to know that 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 joyful suffering that he's going through is actually the means by which the gospel is being spread. Right? He says there in verse 25, he says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So now we have to ask the question, what will the church at the end times do when we are called to be the the last bulwark of truth? What will we do? How do we share the gospel to this community? How do we share the gospel in the community I'm at downtown or in the plateau? What message are we actually preaching? Well, here we have one. A message that is manifested by a joyful suffering for the sake of the people. That is something shocking to the world because like I said at the beginning, everyone suffers. But the Christians that suffer joyfully, like First Peter says, people ask for the reason for the hope that is in you. So there is no hindrance to the gospel and to the spread of the gospel because of suffering. In fact, the way God works is through the joyful suffering of his church. And so all this, if we're going to sum up, it just shows me a couple of things then. That God works in a way that is so different than we can imagine. 
and that the most loving thing he does for his people often is beyond what we can think. I don't know what's in store for you as a church, but I do know that God will allow seasons of painful suffering for you. Maybe it's already begun, and many will leave, and there will be a sifting, and then, and then now you come back to text like this, and you'd say, you read from chapter one, and then you go on to chapter two, and then you can say, I rejoice for the tears that I'm crying for, for this body and for the other bodies. God works in ways completely opposite to what we can imagine. No one in the first century Jewish community could ever have imagined a Messiah crucified. It just wasn't part of the, their way of thinking. No one could ever imagine that he would, would only spend two and a half years, three years. No one ever, the disciples couldn't even understand that he would leave. He was just here and then he's gone. Every time God is working, it is different and maybe even the opposite of what we imagine because texts like Galatians in 4 and 5, it says that the things of the spirit and the things of the flesh are in conflict. So it's no wonder that God will always do things if not opposite or nearly opposite to what we imagine. But he always does it because he loves us. That's at the heart of it. He loved Jesus, and in Hebrews it says, Jesus had to learn obedience through suffering, therefore, and he also loves LCF, and he's going to lead you through a season of suffering because he loves you. And I'm going to end with this, this painful thing that I went through Wednesday. One of the members of my church, she had a little daughter, both pastors, members of my church. They, they're a little daughter of 10 years old who's called Elia. And Elia means God answers. She was diagnosed with, with um, osteocarcinoma, which just means bone cancer, but in her, in her leg. And the doctor couldn't do anything. The chemo wasn't working. Nothing was working. So the doctor said, we'll have to amputate her legs. You know, the, as a mother, the mom cried out to God. And, you know, she was my counselor growing up, one of my Sunday school teachers growing up. When I spoke to her, I had never seen... I had never to this day seen anyone so distraught. And she said, if only the Lord would have taken my legs. And yet she said, even as she was praying with us, she said, I know that there was something, there, there was something and I won't share it here, but there was very specific things that God needed to do. Not in that little girl's life only, but in the lives of those around her. Because that, that mom said to me, she said, my whole life, I've had everything under control, and this is the first time where I'm, hope, I'm helpless. And she said, this is the first time I understand what it means after years of in the ministry, what first time I know what it means to really trust Jesus. And I, I, I thought in my heart, like, this was the cost. Yet I wrestled so much, and we prayed for her healing and for her restoration, and the Lord would not. And on Wednesday, they amputated her legs. And, and I was just very, very upset. And I pray with my wife and very, very upset. But by the evening, 
you know, I, I, my wife and I, Alice and I, prayed about that, and then clearly the Lord reminded us. He says, I took her legs, I took her leg, it was only one leg, because I wanted to save her soul and the souls of many around her. And finally my heart rested. And you know what? That evening my, this, this member of my church sent us all these photos <laughs> of her daughter's amputation and in crutches. And she said, praise God, Elia is not sad for some miracle. And then we feel such peace and renewal over this. I was angry. She was even healed. And I came before God that night and I said, you know, I, I've known you for your goodness these 13 years since I've came to you, Jesus. Your goodness in my life. But I'm also knowing you and I'm praising you now for the loving discipline in our lives. Oh, I, that worship led me to another place. I know, LCF, you're going to go through things like this, if not already. And I mean, I'm hoping to encourage you that you remember these verses at that time. That's why you memorize verses, so that they come back to you when you need it the most. Let's pray. Holy Father, I thank you that 2,000 years ago, you allowed Jesus to be crushed so that we would be uplifted. You allowed him to be abandoned, that we would be received. Him to be forsaken, that we'd be accepted. And then now, God, you send us forth as your body to fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ in our families, to fill up what is lacking in the afflictions for LCF, to joyfully suffer for the sake of Montreal and Quebec. And we can do so because we know that all this is in the perfect design of your loving discipline. Thank you, Jesus. You love us so. And we worship you tonight. And we know that very soon, on Sunday, we will celebrate your resurrection. And then one day, we will fall at your feet physically, hold your feet in worship. And all things, whether we understand them or now or not, all things will be made clear. Thank you, Jesus. Anoint these, this church. You love it so. As you said today, you are its head. You are her great shepherd. So lead LCF, Jesus, until the day you come again. In Jesus' name, amen.